0: Greetings humans. You have entered the command zone. Your destination for all aspects of Elder Dragon Highlander. Enjoy your stay. Oh, you <laughs> it's just a small town girl! do do Living in a lonely world. By your you, set the, you set the key. You set like, the not... midnight train going anywhere. Ba-da-dum. Okay. <laughs> Hello, everybody. How are you doing today? You're listening slash watching the Command Zone podcast. I'm your host,
1: Jimmy Wong. How's it? It's Josh Lee Kwai. And your falsetto's better than mine.
0: Yeah, you know, it's been practicing it uh for my whole life. <laughs> uh, Today, we're going to have a very fun and simple episode, but it's one of my favorite. It's mailbag time, and we have a lot of hot topics to cover today uh, yeah we got
1: questions like is there a right way to concede how do you feel about the hybrid mana rule and commander how do you beat super friends decks we're gonna answer all those questions and many more but first a big shout out to our sponsor cardkingdom.com slash command zone if you use that affiliate link when you buy your magic cards singles sealed products anything at all you're really supporting this show our podcast and game nights and all of our content and we super appreciate it
0: Second sponsor for the show, Ultra Pro, of course. Now, Ultra Pro, we've been working on them for quite a while. All of your local game stores will have Ultra Pro products. They'll probably have the 100-count sleeves in stock as well for the Eclipse sleeves. So go check that out and buy some and sleeve up your next deck. Yeah, very excited about that. And the final way to support the show is directly at patreon.com
1: slash command zone. In fact, we call out one lucky patron every single episode. And this episode is dedicated to... Teddy, Teddy Ho. Ho! Teddy You rock. Hi-ho. You know, if you're a patron and you're at a qualifying amount, you also will be soon receiving a free copy of our new playmat. Yes. If you haven't heard about this. Now, if you're not a patron, you can also get a hold of it. In fact, you have to go to the Kickstarter right now to order our last stand playmat.
0: You know you want this thing. It's beautiful. If you're watching the YouTube video, you're looking at it right now. Yeah, it's only available for two more weeks and we're not kidding around. That's how the Kickstarter works. It's not a pre-order for a soon to be sold product. This is the only chance and you can get this play mat and it's dri- drawn by the amazing Titus Linter. Great artwork. It's the first official Game Nights Playmat. And then again, this is the last time you'll ever be able to purchase it. So head on over to that Kickstarter. It is in the show notes below. And of course, we've been tweeting about it. You'll see it all over the internet, but you only have a limited time to get it.
1: Yeah, once that Kickstarter runs out, that's it. We are never printing it again. So if you want that, head on over to that Kickstarter. Okay, let's start with the questions. Oh, I wanted to say, I'm sure you can't tell. Uh,
0: watchers, listeners out there, but we're on our brand new set. That's right. We actually just moved to a new location out of our old offices uh, because things were needing to be relocated. Very exciting. This is actually a little more convenient, I think, for everyone, as well as uh, we'll it's be. It's ours. It's ours, yeah. We're not we, sharing it. We can do whatever we want. <laughs> Light it on fire. <laughs> yep. After moving all that stuff, why not? <laughs> no, 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 just tear it all me. down. Never mind. I, I take it back. I take it back.
1: Yeah. So uh, you can't tell any difference, but we did move the entire set to a new location, got it rebuilt. Big shout out to Bonnie and all the uh, set designers and production crew that pulled that off. Thank you, guys. All right. On to the listener questions. I just want to say really quickly these are not exact quotes. Some of the questions have been edited for length and or clarity okay question number one this is from keegan people in my meta like to steal cards that are mine in game not steal for real <laughs> but they uh Got often take yeah <laughs> but they often take my expensive cards of course because they're the best cards and i'm forced to then watch my card get bent or beat up by careless players oh i don't want to be rude but how do I let people use their
0: control magic effects on my expensive cards without the risk of them being damaged? Well, there is always going to be a risk, no matter what. Now, I think you just want to mitigate that risk because I can't tell you how many games of Limited I've played when it's like a pre-release where it's like, hold on, can I read that card? And I'm not stealing the card, but I'm definitely taking it, picking it up and looking at it and then either putting it back down or giving it to them. I think you just need to be be very clear. It's like, hey, are you control magic in this? Like, hey, look, don't bend the card, please. And if they do, you got to just be like, hey, stop what you just did there you bent it can you not and i think it's pretty understandable yeah for sure i uh you know i've noticed myself um
1: i sort of will tap the card with the back of my finger when Mm -hmm. i'm like triggers like this triggers this trigger trigger and i've looked at my cards later and i'm actually hitting it hard enough to like leave an (laughs) indented mark on some of the cards so i have to stop myself from doing that that's something that somebody else could do like if i stole someone's card and did that i would feel horrible yeah Uh, but it's kind of like a second nature also a lot of people, us included, use,
0: like, fancy dice. Mm-hmm. Those dice can oh, be, yes. like, super heavy and pointy. Yeah, I've definitely dented. I've looked at the foil later, and, like, that is exactly where the Planeswalker dice sat.
1: Yeah, so you got to be careful, and I can understand this. Um, Keegan, for a really expensive card, if you're worried about it, you know, they have they have those cards that are just blank cards. Mm-hmm. I could even see just carrying a couple of those and being like, right, Gaia's Cradle on it, hand him that. Yeah. Putting or yours putting, off putting to the it side. in a
0: hard shell, maybe, before they steal it. Yeah, I mean...
1: <laughs> I I wouldn't, like, if somebody did that, let's say I stole, like, their their, uh, masterpiece soul ring, right? I I deck fade in it, and it's mine. And somebody said, listen, I'm not trying to be rude or anything, but I'm just gonna write that on this card, and
0: and we'll put my card off to the side and use this. I'd be like, yeah, totally understandable, dude. Yeah, I mean, it's not gonna ruin the game, as long as everyone at the table understands what's happening. And everyone, of course... Has spent money on their cards for the most part. They all understand. I think this definitely could be a new player thing where they're just like I'm a shuffle this. I hate when I give it someone my deck and they don't shuffle it, right? Or yeah. the Kessler, it, as we like to call, it, where cards are uh. upside down, sleeves are getting ripped and they just pummel it to death. Um so I've even offered to be like, Hey, look, um, I'll shuffle your deck for you to speed things up, or like I'll do this so that, you know, we don't have to we don't have to worry about you messing up my cards. In competitive play, obviously it's a little different, but
1: Yeah, and then we can take this time also to give a quick PSA to everybody out there. You know, be really respectful when you do steal other people's cards in-game. Just be aware that, like, that's not your property. And even if you don't care if you bend your own cards or whatever, when you have somebody else's, you should treat that as if they very much care, um, even if they don't. So just be respectful of other people's stuff uh, in those situations, and, and, you know, I think everybody can help each other out. But again, Keegan, if you're really worried, and and it makes sense if you have super expensive cards... You know, if you're playing with that uh, Tabernacle at Pendrel Vale or something. Yeah. Yeah, if somebody, like, if I went to Control Magic that and somebody was like, listen. um, Control Magic the land. Yeah. We know. know, Okay, if I went to, whatever, if I went to steal it with some other effect, like. um, Take a Legendary permanent Galena or something. Yeah, Galena. um, Is Tabernacle Legendary? I don't know if it is. I think it is. See,
0: I don't own one. There's only one. Craig will have to tell me because he. But his is in Italian. So, yeah, you have to really look carefully. Legendaria. Legendaria, yeah. That's exactly how
1: you say it in Italian. Anyway, if I went to do that, steal Craig's. And he was like, listen, this is a $2,000
0: card. I'm just gonna write it on this card. You can proxy it with this, yeah. you know? Or I even be, just be I mean, like, anything. Like, yeah. here's another card, and we're just gonna put a land in its spot, you know? Like, but it's clearly a different sleeve and everything. Yeah, I would be like, totally fine, man. Another thing, too, is I, I, I do this a lot when I put a card down. I'll put the whole card down, and then the corner of it, I'll flick onto the table. That's like the flicking, it's satisfying, but that actually is causing some structural damage to the card, so yeah. there are a lot of things I think players do and don't realize may eventually accrue damage on the card, so be careful. And okay. that damage does not disappear as turns and phases end. Yeah. Good luck, Keegan. Don't feel bashful about it. It is your property. Okay. Question number two. I heard you guys mention during one of your shows about needing to wipe off sleeves, no matter the brand. Does that prevent them from getting sticky? Do you use regular H2O or alcohol swabs or something else? From Joe, and you're a patron as well, Joe. So thank you for your question. Yeah, we've had some people mention that Eclipse sleeves tend to get sticky, and really any sleeve after a while will accrue dirt. Yeah, so it starts to get grime or dust uh, from the table, from the play mat, from your hands. Man yeah the reason that I use a play mat is because when you play on the table and you'll notice this the sleeves will it'll sort of be like a weird like around the edges like a darker like almost looks like someone smudged it with a marker yeah. or something and almost always for me to clean it off I just sit there with my finger and I do this and it's off uh, and I can roll it off pretty easily but otherwise I would recommend um, either just being very careful with a wet wipe or a, like a damp like cloth and you can do it really easily make sure the cards dry or even just take the cards out and glue it afterwards Yeah, I've done it with like a very slightly damp paper towel. Not a wet paper towel, but a paper
1: towel that's got like two drops of water on it. Yeah. And just quick wiping on the front and back will actually make a difference. And you'll be like, oh, they shuffle great. Be careful, though. You actually want them to dry before you do it. So if you wipe them off and then immediately start shuffling, the (laughs) grime's actually more likely to stick to it because they're wet now. Yeah.
0: So just wait a little bit and then do it. I would also say you can avoid this right i see a lot of people be like my sleeves get so dirty yada yada i was like i played with sometimes i played with the same sleeves at pre-releases for six in a row and by the end i see a little bit of grime on them and i'm shuffling these a ton over the course of all of those games so uh you know i think if you just wash your hands before you play make sure your play mat's clean make sure you're not just throwing cards around everywhere not on the dirty surface and you'll find that your cards will be cleaner in general all right question number three is there a chance to eventually see
1: an Atali deck in action on game nights? <laughs> I think Jimmy would be excited to ride the giant Spinosaurus
0: to victory. I think any of us would be
1: excited. This is from uh, Eduard- Eduardo, who's a patron. And I should say that the cleaning your sleeves uh, question was from Joe, who's also a patron. Thank you, so, patrons. So, Jimmy, questions. any chance playing Atali deck on game nights? I figured we could use this as a jumping or springboard to talk about how yeah. we do game nights and how the decks get chosen that's true because so, it's harder to answer than you might think eduardo
0: yeah and for sure now i probably not i'll just say that much atali <laughs> may appear in decks as it has now it was in my i got to trigger it once yeah it was in my joda deck as well i would love to have used it um the reason is is one i've already played two mono red decks and i currently have no interest in playing more at this point i think Maybe. Who knows? Wow. You never know. Wow. Red's just tough at Commander, man. Do you either? We've, I, we've turned him. I played Kamena, and it was green-blue once, and I was like, what have I been missing out on? <laughs> <laughs> this is absurd. <laughs> the value. Even the artifacts somehow have more value. Um, So, the way that... Yeah, you want to talk about how we choose extra game nights?
1: Yeah. So, um, a lot of game nights will have a theme. It just... It's too open-ended to just be like, hey, anybody bring any deck. That... Yeah. That is tough right because you're likely to have one deck that's just way more powerful than the rest or Mm -hmm. also the show has always been crafted like the very first episode was like the commander 2016 decks and so it was always like trying to keep up with the new stuff because people haven't seen that stuff in action so Mm -hmm. that's like if it was me I'm way more likely to want to watch something that's showing the new stuff so I can get some kind of a gauge of, oh, I haven't seen that in action because it's new, so I'd like to see what that looks like and how that plays. Um, so a lot of times we're playing with the newer things or some kind of theme, uh, which means that we're kind of, you know, we'll be like, I don't know, um, you know, Commander 2018 is coming up, M19 mm. coming up, we're going to be focused around those. But that doesn't mean there might not be an episode in there where we kind of go, okay, Everybody, you can play a, a deck that's, you know, from the past or whatever that you made. And I'll say in those situations, we do sort of check power level to make sure like no yeah. one's bringing like a Prosh food train food chain deck <laughs> while everybody else is playing, you know. I'm playing my Tim deck and you're playing, you know, some something, something else that's more not, janky. Yeah. yeah. So we do have to try and keep it so that everyone has a chance to win in the game so that it's not like going in one deck's just way over overpowered or over favored i guess and we know that
0: a lot of people that's what they want to see is like please bring your most powerful decks and play them at the table and we could of course do that obviously we talk about these decks all the time on the show but also from a marketing and a business perspective it helps us out in the same way that when a new set comes out, people do set reviews of the set, Prof review a new product when it comes out. It helps us from a marketing sense in that we're trying to grow this channel and reach as many people as possible to do the thing that's gonna open that door to many, as many people as possible. Now I know a lot of you out there might be like, but I want to see this, so please give it to me. And we hear you, but we may not go down that path because this is how we're designed to run the business.
1: Well, people that, <laughs> that are saying that, let me just say, we're gonna throw you bones when we can. And the very next episode of Game Night should be mm-hmm. A bone thrown in that direction, I'll just say. This is a chance we had. We had a window, um, and we actually shot this episode months ago with the Professor and Wedge, mm-hmm. and this is our own decks being played against each other. It's not built around any specific theme. so Pretty fun
0: game, too. Yeah,
1: pretty fun. And so you'll see... Uh, you'll maybe understand a little bit how our production schedule works in that we literally shot that thing back in what October or November. Yeah. And it's just coming out now because that's the only window we had where we didn't have something else going on. There wasn't a new product. There wasn't, you know, something
0: else we wanted to showcase and we're like, Oh, it can go yeah. here. So, and of course, you know, ultra pros a sponsor car came as a sponsor, wizard of the coast is a sponsor ultra pro comes out with new products with new sets. All these things, all of these things factor into the decisions that we make, obviously, but ultimately like we're still making the show for you and we're doing it to be as mass marketed as possible because we want more people to watch magic. If we just did really niche, like very powerful decks, sure. There'd be a lot of people that would enjoy it, but you know, I think the view counts often speak for themselves and we've seen that doing new stuff is both beneficial for us as a show and business people like, look, I'm this is a business, sorry, at the end of the day. Uh, if we don't make it a business, we, Josh wouldn't be able to quit his job to do this. Yada, yada. There'd be no game nights. There'd be no game nights. Well said. All right. Question number four. There is a player in our play group who likes to concede whenever anyone or someone steals his stuff or takes over his turn with a mind slaver or something like that. Are you being more respectful to the new set by not throwing the paper?
1: I threw it just softly. Oh, okay. Because you were speaking while I did it. Oh, very nice.
0: Thank you. Yeah. He does this. Uh, so, this player concedes when someone takes over his turn with a slaver or steals something or something like that. He does this to screw over the player using the effect, and as a result, people have stopped targeting him with that kind of stuff, which leaves me with a bad taste in my mouth. Am I wrong? Is using conceding as a strategy just smart gamesmanship, or is it actually super scummy from Trevor? Super scummy. Pretty scummy. Yeah. It's not good gamesmanship. It's effective. In a way, but it's like a, almost like a terror act of terror. To me, it's using the wrong mechanisms
1: in the game. Right? We always say keep things in game. Right? Conceding is kind of outside the
0: game, and it's using losing to win is a weird thing. And I not even win. You're using it to mess up the dynamics of the game because, well, if you're in alliance with someone, what if you're making deals? Like it messes up with so much stuff. I mean, I see. I'm an
1: advocate of like. I'm getting attacked and, you know, you're going to kill me and I have a lightning bolt in my hand. And it's not Mm going to change the outcome. I'm still going to die. But I'm still going to lightning bolt one of your things so that Mm. as I go, I'm doing as much damage in game to you as possible. I'm an advocate of that because it's using the cards, using the game in the right way, right? And so the next game when you go, oh, man, I could maybe get rid of Josh. But what if he has that lightning bolt and I don't want to lose a creature? Maybe you think about it. But those are game mechanisms. To me, saying like, you're like, I mind you. You know, and you're knowing they're gonna take over your turn and try and kill other players maybe and you at the same time, and you're like, I concede in response. That's that's lame because you're using an outside the game mechanism, which is
0: quitting the game, like yeah. to stop an effect. Like it's a very salty thing to do too. Be yeah. like, I don't wanna play anymore, and neither will you get to do the thing that you literally played a card, paid mana into, and wanted to do for an effect. So you're like screwing over one person out of resentment, out of bitterness, out of whatever it is. Think about why players concede in 1v1. It's not because they're angry or bitter in competitive play. They concede either because they want more clock for the next ground that they're playing, or they don't concede because they want to see more of their opponent's deck. Like I've seen people play through like a like a lock deck or like a you know ensnaring bridge just to a see deck. a few just more just turns, to see a few more turns, and maybe play to that out. And that's what a competitive person does. A competitive person and person that knows how to game doesn't concede for a tactical advantage because in 1v1 that doesn't exist. And in the multiplayer game, it's just kind of not cool, bro. To me, the conceding like that for strategic advantage is sort of akin to, like,
1: making a real-world threat or a real-world promise. Yeah. It's bringing other things into the game. Like, I want it to be, like, the people in the cards but within the world of the game. Um, This has actually come up a little bit in our playgroup where I started just at the start of games just being like, okay, so I just want an agreement at the start. Sorcery speed only concessions. Oh, okay. Everybody just agree at the start, and I think that actually solves it. So you can concede at any time that you could cast a sorcery. Otherwise, concessions are,
0: are not allowed. So if you're Mindslaver, then you actually can't because the, the other yeah. person has control of your chair. Yeah, funny.
1: And if they go to control magic your thing, you can't concede at that point. But okay. if it got back to your turn, fine.
0: What if you have Vidalconorri?
1: But doesn't matter. You can't cast a sorcery. Vidalconorri doesn't give you a change to, it says you can uh, cast your cards at flash speed or whatever. It doesn't say you can concede. No. What if I have a card that says concede the game? <laughs> any, If you had a card that said any, <laughs> any action you could take at sorcery
0: speed, you can now take at flash speed. Then I would maybe grant it. Okay, to you. cool, cool. But I consider it an action, not not playing a spell. You know, if you want to concede, you know what you should do. You should play any of the cards that say take an extra turn. You would lose the game after this turn, or um, I mean, you'd have to have those cards. I know, but that's what I'm saying. That'd be a, that'd be a more. Fun. I, I would allow that. I'd be like, I mean, okay, cool. Concede out of just your, your turn, literally killing you. I'm something. totally
1: fine <laughs> with people conceding, like looking at the table, going, "Yeah, I'm dead. Next turn, I concede. Right? Yeah. It's my turn." But as like if somebody emrakul's and is going to steal your turn, and yeah. you're like, "Well, I'm going to concede," just to to sort of take that power away from you so, you know, Craig can win or whatever. I think that's I think that's kind of lame. What
0: if it's your turn, they have Fidalk and Orrery, yeah. and you, like, go to your first main phase, and then they flash it in and then try and take control of your turn, but it doesn't happen until you end your turn?
1: But, I mean, you would have to concede in response, right? Oh, you're no, right. No, no, you
0: because you would have the rest of your turn before they yeah. took your next one. Um, I guess, fine. Yeah, yeah. You can I mean, concede. Like, it's not an ironclad thing. It's just going to stop most yeah. of that shenanigans. I think the big takeaway is don't concede to out of saltiness or out of, I don't want you to be able to do the thing that you paid money for cards for, you played in your deck, you paid the mana for, you put time into, you made the plan to do. Don't do it because it's not strategic. And honestly, I don't think that's the kind of behavior that would make me not want to play with you in the future. Yeah, I think if somebody did that a lot, I just would stop inviting them. Yeah, it's just, or I mean, like, if you wanted to go the extreme route, you would just start targeting more of that, yeah, like that stuff. you be like, All right, you don't want to play Excellent. magic? Then fine, we're not. We're going to make you not play magic. Like That's kind of the decision you're making, right? Is like, I'm not going to play magic unless it's on my terms. It's like, no, you're playing a four-player game. It needs to be on everyone's terms in a way. Well said. All right. Question number five. Who are
1: the, who read the last one? I, uh, you did. Yeah, I did. Okay, question I'm number I'm five. Well, we must alternate every question, otherwise the world will crumble, right? But stop spinning. <laughs> yeah, we don't want that. Okay, yeah. number five. How do I best gauge when to stop improving my deck? When should I stop trying to tweak and improve it? Oh, good this question. Is from
0: Jean, Jean.
1: Could be Jean. Um, I think it's hard to answer this for another person. Mm-hmm. I'll just answer how I do it. I usually get to the point where I feel the deck is good to very good, feels, you know, like it always has a chance to win. Mm-hmm. And that's usually about where I stop. Like, I, there's a lot of decks I have where I'm like, yeah, I could make it more powerful. I could tweak it, but I'd rather just work on a new deck.
0: Yeah. You know? Oftentimes, too, a lot of the, I find the final percentage of tweaking is like add in more Force of Wills and more zero, more mana crypts. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's like, okay, cool. Any deck can do that, obviously. Just get more ramp and more card draw or more like very powerful zero cost spells or whatever. Um, what about your like middle tier decks, the ones that you want to bust out in a, like a table of five to six power out of 10 decks? It depends. Like there's some that I specifically want to be in
1: that space. Right. So I don't want to improve the fives and sixes sometimes. Yeah. Cause then I have all eights, you know, mm-hmm. and I want to have a varying power level so I can play with anybody. But there are decks where I don't want them to be bad and they just kind of are. Mm-hmm. And those are the ones where I'm
0: like, okay, I'm going to actively try and make this better now. You do need a couple of daggers, like yeah. poisonous legendary blades and and when you build a deck you generally want it to be good so Mm -hmm. when you build it and play it the first couple times and it's not i think it's totally natural to want to improve it yeah i think my pattern is i'll build the deck with a very clear idea in mind and then try and play it a few times and if i'm unhappy with the performance i'll make a big conscious effort to try and tweak stuff if it's just playing all right and then like okay i can improve this in some ways maybe i'll do the mana rock route and just try and get it better at like the core basics of what the deck needs and then every time a new set comes out, I usually look through the set, see if there's any cards that have to go in the deck, or I think would be fun inclusion. So it's not necessarily improving it. Sometimes even it's more just like tweaking it to have a little more fun. But you have to be careful too, because eventually you could dilute your deck to originally to miss yeah. It used to have this purpose. theme, but yeah. I put in too many fun cards, and now it's just good stuff. Yeah, um, I think that's definitely a big problem a lot of players run into.
1: Yeah, I, you know, like, I have that Shadowborn Apostles deck, and, like, the card Soul Salvage came up, and I was like, well, I have to put this in there, you Mm -hmm. know, even though the deck's fine, it's not amazing, but it's good, and so, you know, I didn't, like, go through and look through the entire deck and try and tweak everything, it was just like, oh, this one card, like, that has this deck written all over it, so I'm gonna slot it in there, but Mm -hmm. that's not, like, an overhauling, because I thought the deck was at you know, a good place. But right. there are some decks where a couple new cards come out that I'm like are good in that deck and I'm like I'm going to take this opportunity actually to just overhaul as much as I can because the deck could use us a, a strengthening up. So I mean, it's a, I think a lot of it's meta too, right? If a lot of your decks in your meta are powerful, you probably want to make your decks more powerful on average. If they're not, then I would err on the side of more decks rather than continually working on
0: one until it's just the most well-oiled of machines. Although it's yeah. fun to have
1: one deck like that. I mean, you'll probably get tired two. of
0: the deck too after a while, honestly. I mean, I, there are some decks where I'm like, I've tweaked this enough. Like like my mono red deck has evolved like six times from different commanders because I always just want to do something new. Maybe next time I'll be a Tali, who knows? <laughs> uh, but every single time it changes, I'm like, you know what? I'm, I'm tired of doing this because you end up taking cards out, putting it back in, it gets exhausting. But yeah, meta-dependent makes a lot of sense. If, you don't, if your deck's not performing up to snuff, keep improving it until it does. If you want to start winning more, keep improving till it does that. But I, I think at a certain point, you need to be like, okay, I'm. What percentage of games did you said if you won, you'd be happy with? My fair share, I think, like twenty five percent in a four player game. So if you're maybe winning slightly, maybe thirty percent, maybe yeah. So yeah. if you're winning twenty five to thirty five percent of your games with the deck, then I think it's probably at a good enough point. Unless you want to be that person that. That's a really good point. So if you keep improving it, you're gonna be one of these people that emails us constantly and says, my playgroup always targets me first, what do I do? Yeah, or my play group refuses to play with me. What do I actually do? actually got that message recently yeah. on Instagram, which is just turn your deck down or honestly ask why they don't wanna play with you and they'll probably tell you why. But once you reach that point,
1: it's a lot harder to fix it than it would have been if you just seen it coming and been like, right. you know what? before that gets to the point where they target me first all the time or don't want to play with me I'm just going to stop improving this deck I'm going to move on to another deck and I'll have this deck that's still very good mm-hmm. but it's not oppressive and it doesn't elicit that kind of response because you know unless that's what you mean unless that's what you want if you want to be the arch enemy and stuff that's totally fine too it's just you know don't come complaining to us later I
0: guess <laughs> All right. us anyone <laughs> all right uh, my girlfriend has a five color super friends deck with chromat as the commander I like it already I like it already And no matter what I do, I can't seem to beat it. We always end up in the final two fighting against each other. And every time I lose, I don't want to build a deck so powerful that it'll beat her deck every time. But I'd like to beat it about half the time. So what kind of deck should I build? And that question is from Jason. So this is a good question. Um, How do you beat Super Friends specifically? There are board wipes now that do damage to Planeswalkers. It's Star of Extinction, I think, is the one that that does damage to Planeswalkers. I think, like, Hour of Devastation does too, Oh, yeah, I think it's Hour of Devastation. Either way, uh, damage-based spells will do that. Um, I think, honestly, Planeswalker decks work in a way where if it is off to a good start and it's disrupted, it's very hard for them to catch back up to it. But once they get rolling, then it's very hard to slow it down because they have so much extra value every turn that they get for free. Right, You could even be like, oh, they're playing five colors. I'll play Armageddon. But that's the thing is they may actually have an active planeswalker out. And then if it's like Elspeth's son's champion, you're just going to lose the game.
1: That was actually my first thought when I read the email, um, Jason, which is that you said it usually ends up with the two of you fighting against each other and that's when you lose. Well, I think the problem is if the Super Friends deck has lasted till the end like that, heads up against somebody, they're probably far along in the game, and they're set up fairly well. Mm -hmm. If you think about it, Super Friends decks are not good if you're having to play Planeswalkers into a board that has stuff on it. Right. So you want to put yourself in that position. If you're trying to play stuff into a board that already has Planeswalkers, you're in big trouble. So um, and, and then like Jimmy said, direct damage stuff, um, unblockable stuff is good. Evasion is good. Just flyers. like flyers and stuff. Uh, but usually a super friends deck will get to the point where it's clearing the board and then putting that stuff out.
0: So you probably want to step on them early. Um, definitely talk to the table too. Cause if it is yeah. just you two at the end, every single time, then it means that her deck as well as your deck is doing very good. And so It could be a matter of like, hey, we need to get rid of this Planeswalker now, please. Can we stop fighting amongst each other for this reason? Um, So I think there's a lot more that factors into it. If I look around the table and I can't beat a deck if I'm heads up against it, then I don't want to eliminate the other players or let them be
1: eliminated because my only chance is 2v1 then, right? Mm -hmm. Like if I'm, like Jimmy's in a super good position and if we eliminate, you know, Mel, then all of a sudden it's me versus him and how do I win that? Then I actually need to get Mel on my side and kind of protect her because that's my chance ultimately to beat Jimmy and that's probably her chance too. Um, So you might use politics a little bit. Good luck. Good luck. Okay, number seven. I've been replacing some lands such as scry lands and some signets with these filter lands. They've done me wonders. With the amount of artifact hate floating around in Commander and the lack of land destruction, these things are great. They're fairly well-protected being lands. They won't get hit by large wipes or cyclonic rifts, and they allow me to ramp. What is your opinion of the filter lands? No, um, this is from Josh. So, yeah, Jimmy, do you want to explain what filter lands are?
0: Yeah, they're pretty simple. So a land like Graven Cairns, uh, they actually reprinted these recently in Iconic Masters. Uh, you It comes into play untapped. You can tap it for a colorless mana. However, you can also pay whatever the lands are two colors, so it's you can pay one of the hybrid color mana and tap the land. So if it's Graven Cairns, you can play a back black or a red and tap the land, and then you can create black, 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 red, or red, red to your mana pool. So any variation of those two colors. So it filters the color you put into it, and you can create another color. So you can technically, if you only have a black uh, color mana land, you can generate red out of a filter land. It's taking the black and filtering it into something else, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, and and that's a really important distinction to make here, Josh, because it doesn't ramp you. It only filters you. And the difference is that because the filter land itself, it does create two mana, but it also requires you to tap an additional land with it. So you're tapping two lands and getting two mana. Mm -hmm. So that's not ramp. That's filtering. Filtering is when you change your colors into something you maybe didn't have access to. Ramping is when you have additional mana total extra than you should have if you played your lands for turn. So, if you play a filter land on turn one, then a swamp on turn two, you still only have two mana available to you. That's filtering. That's not ramp. Ramp would be if I played a filter land on turn one, a swamp on turn two, and then I tap both and I played a thought vessel. Now I have three mana available to me when I should only have
0: two. Mm-hmm. So, I've ramped. Um, yeah. That I'll- doesn't mean the filter lands are bad, but they're a little bit dangerous, I've found. They're janky. Yeah. That's what Craig has also told me when he was like, I like them a lot, but they're definitely hard to play sometimes. They get you in situations where like
1: you need, especially in like, you know, decks with more than just two colors when all of a sudden like I need a black or a red in Graven Cairns to create, to use the filter land at all. So if I'm playing like a four color deck and all I have is an island in Graven Cairns, well, I don't have black or red. So now the Graven Cairns is just a colorless land. And so I, I like to run
0: only a couple of them. I don't like... I don't like running like three, four, five. Yeah, I generally don't run them unless it's a two-color deck, in which case for a deck that like black requires a lot of black-black usually. They're nice. Um, The other thing is like compare this to a Signet. One, the Signet is ramp. Two, the Signet requires no color-specific mana to create two new colors. So in general, I still like a Signet a lot more um, because it ramps you. And also I find that by the time like someone plays a Vandal Blast, your Signet being gone is not the biggest downside to whatever happened. You know, like I'm often you know fine with it because at that point I have five lands in play. I don't need the Signet to help me ramp me a little more necessarily. Um, and, and Vandal Blast is one card in
1: the format. And it's the only one you're super worried about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it shouldn't stop you from playing Cygnus, I don't think. Unless you're in green, in which case you could play the Rampant Growth stuff.
0: And even the Cyclonic Rift isn't the worst when you have very cheap Mana Rocks. you yeah. can just sort of replay them out. Um, and Everyone is sort of in that position. I think you just having more lands. Now, if you're a land deck, you have a lot of Rampant Growth, Explosive Vegetations, Hour of... But a lot of those don't even those. get Filter Lands. Yeah, exactly. So
1: that doesn't help you there either. Yeah, I'm, I'm like medium on Filter Lands. I think one or two is okay. Like you said, two color decks is totally fine. Now, Bounce Lands, on the other hand, I think are better. Obviously. Uh, I think a lot better because their card advantage Mm -hmm. so a bounce land isn't ramp either a bounce land is a land you play and then you have to return another land to your hand it comes in tapped and then it taps for two mana um, of the guild color of the two color pairings Mm -hmm. all of them so if you play an azorius chancery yep um, it comes in tapped you bounce an island back to your hand now next turn it untaps and you play your island and you only have two lands in play but you actually will tap for three mana you didn't ramp though because your land drop for that last turn returned a land to your hand, so you actually have the same amount of lands or mana available as you should for lands return. right? You should have three lands in play, but you only have two. But right. the two lands tap for three mana, so you're even on that exchange. The thing is, if you keep a hand that only has two lands in it, you normally would only have two mana. But with a Bounce Land, if a Bounce Land is one of them, you have three mana. So it kind of is card advantage in that weird way. Also, any effects that untap your lands. Yes, very you powerful. You know, Q-R's Followers, Fate Stitchers, those things. All of a sudden, those cards tap for two mana. So I like Bounce Lands a lot better than
0: I like Filter Lands generally. And I like Signets more than both of those. Yeah, I like Sil- Signets a lot. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I would agree. Yeah, I would honestly say, like, unless if your meta has a lot of artifact destruction, but then don't be running, like, a Akroma Chroma's mem- Memorials and, like, yeah. giant five, six, seven drop artifacts. Still running, like, having a Signet on turn two is still incredibly powerful in Commander. Um, and people aren't normally
1: using their pinpoint removal on oh, your Definitely signets. not.
0: Yeah. I don't think any, I mean, I've never honestly seen it unless you're trying to take someone off a color and they're very dangerous with all the colors. Um, They'll get Vandal Blasted sometimes or, like, dist-
1: you know, yeah. Nev's Discs or, you know, once in a while, Dak Faden or somebody. Might take something like that, but that's a more rare case. And like you said, a lot of times you've already gotten some value by using them a few times before that happens. So, yeah.
0: Okay. All right. All right, Alex asks, and this is a pretty popular question, actually, what are your opinions on the rule that hybrid mana in EDH is strictly considered to be both colors in the identity while the rules for it in all other formats state that it is either or? Shouldn't color identity rules be more closely aligned to the general rules? Do you think WotC should change these commander rules? Are there other commander rules you find to be too restrictive in gameplay? And that question comes from Alex. So um, hybrid mana, we were just talking about with the filter lands, are the mana
1: symbols that are sort of split so it it says like um, let's say it was a hybrid Orzhov right it would be white or black so mm-hmm. when you pay the cost you can choose either I pay a white or a black it doesn't cost both um, in Commander because of color identity the rules committee has stated that if you have like you know like I said an Orzhov a white black a uh, hybrid mana symbol on the card anywhere then that card can only be played in. Black, decks that have black-white so a commander that has black-white so like if you had I don't know a mono-white Commander you can't have an Ability or a or a casting cost mm-hmm. in your deck that is um, Hybrid Black-white now unless it's extort. Yes now <laughs> it's was, in the rules
0: text. God. This is so complicated. It's in the reminder text. So, reminder text sorry. so
1: we get asked this all the time extort is a special loophole in the system where extort the mechanic has a reminders text, which is in parentheses right after extort, and in that reminder text, it has the hybrid black-white mana symbol, but extort is like the one case where that doesn't count towards the card's color identity.
0: Just about everything else. Because that text th- might ne- not necessarily be on the card. Sometimes they take reminder yeah. text off of cards. Yeah, exactly. They might just say, this card has you know has extort. so-and-so
1: extort, and not show the what extort is. It's like first strike, right? First yeah. strike doesn't say have to say like this creature deals damage before the other creature yeah. deals damage, right? In the new phase, or yeah. Whatever. Yeah. So it's a it's an interesting case, but so to backtrack here again, so the hybrid mana symbol this is a controversial topic where a lot of people wish that you could use it as an either or, so that if I had a deck that was mono blue, I could still use a card in it that had the you know, yeah. let's say I had a deck that was mono white. Some people would like to run Soulfire Grandmaster maybe in that deck. Right. But it has an activated ability that requires blue. Or sorry, let's say it wasn't minor white. Let's say it was... um, A white blue. Yeah, let's say it was Boros. Mm -hmm. Let's say I had a Boros deck. I can't run Soulfire Grandmaster right now because it it has hybrid, is it? Hybrid red, blue Mm -hmm. in the activated ability. But a lot
0: of people are are like wishing that, that we could. So what do you think about... Man, that took a long time to explain. Sorry i like it the current way it is um i don't think it needs to change necessarily i'm not exactly sure what the other formats state the rules for it to be if it's either black or white
1: well the other formats don't have color identity
0: yeah i'm pretty sure that's that's the confusion i had from alex's question it may be a misconception that you have alex that the other formats have rules specific to that um i think like in the other formats you can if you want to you can run a deck and put
1: like first of all you don't have a commander yeah but it you can just run a deck and put like a green
0: card in there with no way to cast it if you feel like it. Yeah, totally. In commander you really can't do that. Yeah, I don't think it's a problem. Honestly, I think it's totally fine. I think it is core to the card, right? If it's like an Orzhov something and it requires white or black to pay for it, then that's the whole point. It's a white black card. You're supposed to be able to use both colors of mana for it. I think you I think it's just like a silly loophole if you're being like i want to put these cards in my deck to power it up because i wish i could play this card um i think it kind of takes away from the flavor of the game and i am fine with the hybrid mana symbol counting as both colors instead of you get to choose which one it counts for
1: yeah i also think restrictions are just basically good and part of the fun of the format is the restriction of like well i have to build my deck with these colors and it's Muldrotha, and it'd be really sweet there's some white cards i'd really love in that deck yeah but i can't and you have to work around that or you have to do things like I do, which is like, well, if I want to do that, I have to make a five-color commander or a four-color commander, hide Muldrotha in the deck, and figure out a way to make it work. And that's a restriction that
0: still allows you to pull off what you want, but you have to jump through some hoops to do it. And there honestly aren't even that many hybrid mana cards I think that people really want in other decks. And I think going back just to satisfy those players that want to do that is not worth it overall, right? I think I like the fact that if it, the color is there, outside of Extort that's the only messy one because it's in the reminder text, Outside of extort, if the colors are on the card and it's not saying white or black the words, then those colors are what the card's identity are.
1: Yeah, it's clean. All right, last question. This is from Sean. I'm assuming it's Sean Tabaris or Sean Watson. It's not. Mm -hmm. I don't think so. I would have put that down. All right. I have a question regarding uh, spells with X in their casting costs. My problem being when, when to cast them. Sometimes I jump the gun and cast them too early, and other times I wait so long I either die or the game plan totally changes. Basically, how do you determine the best time to cast these X spells without infinite mana, and when,
0: when does the law of diminishing returns come into effect? I like this question a lot. Um, obviously, my Neheb the Eternal deck has a lot of X casting spells in it. I think it just depends on what's happening on the board and whether or not the card that you're holding onto is like a win condition so for instance in the last game nights uh ben had jaya's immolating inferno i yep. believe is the card and he also had Azer's gateway on the battlefield and that allows you to when it flips tap for how much your life total is and so ben was originally waiting to cast that spell because he wanted to do it and kill everyone at the same time at the board but he cast it earlier because there were a lot of imminent threats and things that he had to deal with and he couldn't simply just sit there and wait anytime you i think if you don't have other options to do that's one of the times to be like okay maybe i should cast this card because it sucks to pass the turn with like 10 open mana being like ooh, if i only had 11 mana i'd be able to do this um because so much can change in the turn cycle um also if you're running a lot of x spells play Vidalcan Orrery because that gives you again more options to cast it in the best possible scenario
1: yeah when you have the most information yeah
0: yes i like always like that advice play
1: Vidalcan Orrery. um yeah i agree i think it depends a lot you know, we've all been in that situation where you're like, ah, I got greedy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I was hoping to do something crazy instead of just do something good. Yeah. And how often does the crazy thing happen? Um, I, I like to be a little bit conservative, probably be like, eh, if I wait a little while, it could be better, but this is still going to be good. And I'd rather have something good happen now. Rather, it depends on what your other plays are, too. But if you're literally like doing nothing and just waiting for the expel. Oh, gosh.
0: Then I would just do it, you know yeah or, so that, I mean like look if it's like okay I could play this X spell for not it's uh, super max potential or play three cards in my hand and establish my board like okay you'll probably want to take the board establishing state unless you're like someone's gonna board wipe or whatever but like in general the more efficiently you can use your mana the better yeah. um, now Commander is a longer format so it doesn't you can sometimes take off turns and be okay but you don't want to be doing that more than once like ever but, and again think about how much the game changes between turns three and turns eight like, look how much the game changed in the last game nights when I was in an incredibly dominating position. And at the end of the game, I lost. Right. So, like, and that was probably only four turns. Yeah. So, don't hold on to stuff. Don't be too precious about stuff. And honestly, if you make a mistake, it's better to learn from that mistake than to never have made it at all because I can't tell you how many times it hasn't happened where I'm like, I should wait to cast a spell, and then later on being like, thank goodness I waited. That's a really good point. It almost never happens. That doesn't happen, yeah. yeah. I, one thing I will say... Um, X-Spell specifically. From working on Game Nights,
1: and you know, one thing Game Nights has really done for my game is I have to sit there and analyze the games, right? Because I'm telling the story of the game and cutting it together and whatnot, and it's really made me realize one of the things you just said there, which is it feels as if there's a lot of turns that, uh, that happen in a game. There aren't. Yeah. Most games are like 12 turns, which means when you're on turn nine, 10 and you're thinking, I'm going to wait one more turn. That's actually a really long time. One turn from turn, you know, turn nine, turn 10, turn 11 is forever. There's so many games where I'm editing the game and I'll be on like turn nine. And I'll be like, holy crap, this other player wins the next turn? It's only one turn away? Yeah. It's, and, you, and as you go through each player's turn, you're like, yep, because this happened and this happened. And they had a, you know, because it's turn 10 or 11, they have so much mana, they did this one really explosive thing. And so I wouldn't hold there waiting, hoping, being greedy about your X spell, uh, especially late in the game. If
0: you can use it to pretty good effect right now, take what you can get now. Yeah, and honestly, if you can use it to good effect now and you think you might have a, a, a slight chance of doing it later, that's when diminishing returns probably is going to start for you. Because it's very, again, like you're tapping out for x usually, and you don't have that freedom often in, in games of EDH either a lot of the times, especially as boards get developed and things get scarier and scarier. So... Like something like Release the Gremlins, I think is a good example of an X spell that you should probably end up casting earlier rather than later. Because uh, it's not going to necessarily win you the game, but it is very good in response to stuff. And it's going to slow down other people, which will give you more time for other stuff
1: to happen probably, right? so if you're like, some creatures. Yeah, if you're like, well, if I just wait one more turn, then I can get every artifact on the board. Yeah, you should probably just do use it now and get every artifact except one. Yeah, and hey, maybe that helps you politically. Release the Gremlins is actually an underplayed card and very good. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's going to end it for our Q and A episode. Thanks everybody who sent in questions. If you have a question for the Command Zone, please go ahead and email it to us at commandcast, Command Zone Cast. Sorry.
0: At gmail.com. at gmail.com. The more the merrier. You know, yeah. we often don't uh, do these Q&A episodes because we don't get as many questions. And a lot of people are like, why don't you respond to the emails? It's because we're usually collating them as well. So we can give you a better response. And of course, inform more people is always the goal here.
1: Yeah. So in email is the best way to send in questions that you want to be answered on the show because it's easier for us to sort of save them forever. Yeah. It's hard to go back through comments from old shows and pull questions that way. So yes, please send us your questions. Okay, to the listeners... What do you think about the conceding as a strategy thing? I really want to hear the community's uh, opinion on that one. Do you think it's scummy like we do? Or do you think it's just gamesmanship and a fair strategy? Hmm. Um, Yeah, I'm curious to hear. I usually come down on the side as most things are gamesmanship, but that one to me is outside the lines. Yeah,
0: definitely. It's never felt good when someone's done it. No. It doesn't feel fair.
1: Or fun. You know what is fun? our sponsor ah not our sister podcast we'll talk no, about that later we'll talk about them later cardkingdom.com slash command zone use that affiliate link when you order your magic Card singles products everything you're really supporting the podcast and game nights and all of our content when you do that we do super appreciate it when people send us messages on twitter and twitter and things a lot did you know that if you ask Card Kingdom for like a hand drawn token, oh, yeah. they are amazing at the hand drawn tokens.
0: So ask for one of Jimmy and I. They actually do a pretty good Yeah. Oh my gosh. I don't know who they have drawing them. It seems like they have a couple different artists each time and you'll get something different. But like that's how they go above and beyond. Yeah. Seriously. It's awesome to see. And we always get them tweeted at the, at us as well. So always nice to see that. Um
1: something else that's nice to see. <laughs> I'm just on fire with the segues, is uh, Ultra Pro Playmats. In fact, Ultra Pro is the one that's going to be printing our last stand playmats, which you can pick up on Kickstarter right now. Ultra Pro, just the reason we went with them is not because they're our sponsor. It's because they actually just make the best product. So, I mean, honestly, I have a few playmats from, you know, before that are not Ultra Pro. And if you have an Ultra Pro
0: playmat and you feel it, and you feel the not ultra pro playmat, there's a huge difference. They just make high quality stuff. Not just that, the print quality is great, the colors the are colors, accurate. The yeah. colors, um, And the company itself is definitely dedicated to making sure that they're making the highest quality product. They're they're constantly improving, um, and that's good to see, right? That's what you want to see from a company. That's why we like to you know do things the way we do it here. At the Command Zone is constantly get better, and Ultra Pro has been doing that as well. The Eclipse sleeve, I think, are widely just sort of considered some of the best sleeves on the market now, and they just came out with a 100 count of those. Uh, And if you guys want to buy our new playmat, the Last Stand playmat, make sure you go over on the Kickstarter right now. The links are in the show notes below. We've tweeted that. We put it on Facebook. It is the only chance you're ever going to get to get this playmat drawn by Titus Lyncher. It's beautiful. It's a one-time only playmat for game nights. And guess what? After the Kickstarter is over, we're never selling it again. All right. Now it's time for the end step where we talk about something cool outside the world of
1: magic. So, uh, Jimmy... I have a question for you. Okay. Did you watch The Sopranos? I did. When it was on. Uh huh. What did you think of the ending of The Sopranos? Um, spoiler alert. Everybody knows about this. It is a little bit of a spoiler. It's not really spoiling any of the plot of the show, though. So if you haven't seen the show, this one shouldn't actually ruin the show in any way. Right. We're just talking about
0: the ending. Actually, the ending is almost okay to talk about in a weird way because it doesn't it ruin any plot. Ruin anything? Yeah. So Frank, right? <laughs> is that his main name? The main guy, Frank. It's been a while. Tony, sorry, Tony, not Frank. I was who's Frank? Who's Frank? (laughs) Uh, The end of The Sopranos, again, turn it off if you don't want to hear about The Sopranos or a sister podcast. We don't have to go into specifics. It's ambiguous. It's very vague. He's kind of chilling at a restaurant. Uh, The great song is playing, the one that we sang. Don't stop Stop. believing. And, and he's just chilling, And and there's some things happening. There's some slight nods here or there. Sort of, yeah. Sort of, and it's just like a long shot. And then boom, it's done, it's over. The show is done. There's no like- It literally tidy. like, it's a tight on his face, I think. And you hear, don't stop.
1: And yeah. it cuts to black. And to the point where a lot of people had the reaction that they actually thought their TV or their power or something cut off <laughs> at that point because it's abrupt yeah. and it's vague. It doesn't, And that's the end of the
0: show. Uh, there's never been another episode or anything else. Uh, yeah, and I don't even think the creators of the show have really talked about what it means or meant. And there's been endless fan theorizing about it. Um, now, this question actually came up because of a tweet, right? Yeah,
1: so I tweeted out, there was some tweet about, you know, basically state something controversial, you uh, That you think you have. of, but that, yeah, it was Yeah, to and with. so I tweeted out that I was fine with the ending of The Sopranos. I was actually
0: inspired to do it because there's so many people complaining about the ending of Infinity War right now. Oh, really? Which I think is similar. How many similar. complain about that? I mean, it's clearly just like, are you ready for Infinity War Part 2? Well, here's the ending to Infinity War Part 1. That's Be- not spoiling anything. There's another one coming out. We all know that. People <laughs> are mad because that ending is, feels like it's not complete. It's not it doesn't resolve yeah and it's so crazy when you see the character and then the, and then journey comes on like yeah. w- this isn't guardians of the game stop and it cuts to black and i was like what They're, they just do with the soprano no. <laughs> that's not what happens but i uh anyway so what did you think of the of the ending of it i of thought it was fine honestly i like i love the show i liked everything about it and i don't think they needed to i think like one sure there may have been better or other ways to end it maybe not even better necessarily but i didn't really care i was like cool it's over that's great i'm gonna look up some fan theories online and be like oh cool neat okay i'm gonna not think about this anymore (laughs) and go on with my merry life
1: yeah see i i thought it was fine because the show to me was never about plot and that ending yeah kind of left people who thought like oh i want to know what happens but to me it was always about the characters and so Mm -hmm. to yeah to me it was like well whatever happened is not
0: as important to me as like i got to see the journey of the characters and it's over now yeah um the number one thing you're always going to see the complaints of about shows that have ended is the ending. Yeah, it's so hard to satisfy everyone. I mean, I think I thought Nearly Breaking impossible. Bad had an incredible yeah. ending, but people still complained about that. Did they? Yeah, Breaking
1: Bad had one of the better endings because it did manage to resolve most things. Yes. Yeah, which is very hard to do on a TV show, and not even the goal of a TV show. If you think about it, from week to week, the show is usually not serialized. It's yeah. usually episodic, you know, so it's not actually building to one specific thing. Until, like, the last season when they're like, oh, crap, we got to do that. Yeah. And then they have to try to change the show into something that usually it's not. Um, I've,
0: yeah, and I've seen some bad endings, all right? Yeah. Lost? Oh, my gosh. Mm. Worst ending. Worst, like, last half. Worst, like, last. Every season except for the first just started a big downward plunge. I thought plunge. two was okay. Season two was okay. Season two was fine. Once and then they hit the just, flash forward, when was that? Uh, four, I think. Once, you know, what no, it was, like, five or six, actually. No, I think it was, like, three. I think it was. four. Once it hit the writer's strike, is when that show just Yeah, went. that's true. That got killed by real world um, problems. Shows with great endings. Friday Night Lights had an incredibly good ending. Uh, I, I never thought. even watched Friday Night Lights. Oh my gosh. You like Michael B. Jordan? Yeah. He's in season five of that show. Amazing. Okay. Seasons one, three, four, and five are all incredible. It's a Peter Berg show. Yeah. Season two, guess what happened then? The writer's strike. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um,. I'm trying to think. Like, West Wing, it really went downhill because Aaron Sorkin got caught with uh, shrooms in his backpack, oh, yeah. and he got fired off his own show, and then the show went downhill, so the, the ending of that one's not great. Did they ever think Battlestar the shrooms the show? Go- oh, God, that show had a bad ending,
0: too. <laughs> we're just... We're not spoiling what happened, but... Okay. But it's widely known, I think, for Balistar that the ending was just like just like lost. Blech. Yeah, like what's happening? What, what do you? Why is this? What is this pseudo anything? So of happening?
1: those, do you think *Sopranos* even on the list as far as bad endings? No,
0: not even close. And you're right. You made a really good point. It's about the characters. It's about the drama. It's not about knowing what happens to Tony in that moment. And that's when I read all. It was exhausting reading all the theories, yeah. being like, "This is what happens because you see this and this." It's like, oh, I don't care. To me, I like ambiguity.
1: I don't have a real big need for everything to be completely resolved. But yeah. I understand like a lot of people. Like my girlfriend would be throwing stuff at the screen at the end of The Sopranos if she watched even, it. You invest a lot of time into these yeah. shows. And she's like, I need closure. That's her favorite thing. So anything that doesn't
0: like wrap up, she's just mad about it. So I get it. Okay. All right. Understandable. Okay. You know what I do get, though? <laughs> what do you get? How great our sister podcast is <laughs> and how consistently they've been great for a long time and just great preview cards. This is True, the Masters of Modern podcast with Alex Kessler and Ben Bateman. You can find them uh, on
1: Twitter at the MMCast and right next to us on Collected.com. You should really check them out. They talk about the modern format and all things competitive magic. And Alex... Uh it's he ha, he runs a toy company called Kesco and they've yeah. actually been working on a new game that's coming out soon. We're going to have more on that. Um Battle bots, I think yeah. is the name right now. We're going to have more on that soon. We'll probably have Alex on
0: to talk about it because he's kind of turning into a game designer in some respect too, it's which is really, really cool. cool. Yeah. Yeah, Kesco. They I mean like they've made in the Ice Hoop as well as the Drop Dot, which is like toys that you find in Target and the Drop Dot apparently isn't selling across out across the nation. It is pretty cool. We got a box of them like over yeah. there somewhere. Yeah. So if you guys want one, don't come to us. They're ours. Um, but yeah, check them out. They're on. <laughs> Go to Target. Yeah. And if you <laughs> want to see the, the Masters of the Modern podcast, they're right next to us on collected.company as well as at the MMCast on Twitter. Do you ever say that? Yep.
1: Oh. It's okay. We can say it twice. They're our sister podcast.
0: Yeah. They're our sister podcast. Our editor for the show is Craig Blanchett. Uh, our prior editor of the show, Terry Robertson, is now moving on to Game Nights. And big special thanks, as always, to Jeffrey Palmer at Living Cards MTG on Twitter. He does the opening and closing animations for the show. You can watch in video form at YouTube.com/slash the Command Zone Podcast. How many of you out there, to the listeners, part two, actually always listen to the end of the episode? Because sometimes we get, do we do some silly stuff? Other times we're like, we're done. We got to get out of here. True. Actually, for those of you still
1: here, speaking of Terry, um, just wanted to give a follow up to because. Oh, that's Everyone right. Everyone saw the news footage where his apartment was on fire <laughs> God, a few weeks ago. Oh, and a lot gosh. of people reached out and asked if he needed help or if there was a GoFundMe or something like that. And we're happy to say that Terry was fine. And actually, crazily enough, they stopped the fire, literally the apartment right next to his. Wow. So the apartment next to his, totally burned down. His apartment, intact. Now, there was smoke damage and some other things, but he didn't like lose everything he owns, which is nice. Um, luckily, you know... Terry is fine and we didn't need to do like a GoFundMe or something like that. He was like, no, tell everybody thank you, um, but I'm fine. So we do appreciate all those people that did offer to help, though. That was really heartwarming. So thanks. Thanks, everybody that did that.
0: Thank you, Terry, as well. All right. All right. Um, uh, this... Thanks for listening. Yeah, and we'll, we'll, we'll see you next time. <laughs> <We're> not...
1: <laughs> Sorry, I threw a wrench in our normal cadence of how we end the show.
0: Don't forget to buy the last damn play, Matt. You want that thing? Yeah, you do. I want it now. Yeah. I'm okay, going to go get one. What? They're not out yet. We still have to print them. Okay, bye.
1: Thank you for your attention. For further inquiries, send an email to commandcast at rocketjump.com
0: or ask us on Twitter at JF Wong and at Josh Lee
1: See you later, alligator. Greetings, humans. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability.